Broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline, you're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Today, we have a very exciting show planned for you. Uh, Dr. David Henderson uh, from the Naval Postgraduate School will be joining us here shortly. Um, Dr. Henderson is an emeritus professor of economics at the Naval Postgraduate School, a research fellow with the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, and a senior fellow with Canada's Fraser Institute. Exciting. He's previously an economist for health and policy and energy policy with the Reagan's Council of Economic Advisor. And he's the author of several books, including the Concise Encyclopedia of Economics, which I think we'll have to ask. It might have been a joke because it's 460 pages. Uh, the Joy of Freedom, an Economist's Odyssey, and Making Great Decisions in Business and Life. Um, all very fantastic. I've read the first couple chapters of his Economics Odyssey, which is a fantastic book. So welcome, uh, Dr. Henderson. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to see you. And uh, I did see earlier this week you were on the news, uh, featured on KION uh, at the uh, the rally uh, in downtown Monterey for um, to open back up business. And right. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I uh, I've I've read a lot of books on um, libertarians, and uh, I can't I don't know if I could call myself a libertarian, but I'm very very um, I love the arguments of libertarians. They have just wonderful yeah. arguments. And I like the thought, uh, the puzzles, because you can invent these thought puzzles and, and then ask a libertarian to argue their way out. And they're almost <laughs> always, they're like a frog in your hands. They're going to get out of that. They're really, <laughs> I love the logic part, uh, of libertarian. And I'm going to pose some hypotheticals to you maybe later in the show. But first, I'd like, uh, can you tell us a little more, if I missed anything in your bio that you'd like to clear up, uh, that's fine. But I, I'd like to know more about the, about the protests last week. I wanted to join, but unfortunately I actually was working. I own a staffing company. So we were interviewing yeah. people and trying to get them jobs. So, so exactly. uh, tell us more about the, uh, the protester. Well, I, you know, I live in an area where I think the majority of people are still in favor of the lockdown. So I just thought it was important to have a protest for two reasons to say, Hey, not all of us are in favor first. And second, if you're, against the lockdown. Maybe you've been a little nervous about speaking out. So just be aware there are a lot of people speaking out. And I told my wife, if we got 10 people, it would be a success. It's kind of like that thing in the Bible, Lord, if there's one innocent person, you know, and if it was 20 people, it would be a tremendous success. So when I showed up at a quarter to one, it was to start at one. And I saw 30 to 35 people there, maybe three of whom I knew I thought this is really something. And by one o'clock when it officially started, I did a rough count. You know, you look at this section, do a count, and then multiply by the number of sections. And I would say there were at least 130 people there. Wow. And what was so heartening was virtually all the signs were about let us work or let us have our freedom back. We had told people this is not a Trump rally. Lawrence Samuels and I who organized it are not by any means pro-Trump to put it mildly. And it has nothing to do with Trump, even if you're like Trump. It's not about Trump. It's about this lockdown in California. There were no Trump signs. And that was a tremendous success for us. 
Well, and, that, and that's one thing is I think in the Monterey Herald, they noticed there were Make America Great Again hats. And I looked at the photo and I, I couldn't, I didn't see any. So I don't know. Actually, yeah, the Monterey Herald did a good job. They, oh, was it the weekly? Maybe it was the, it weekly. Was the weekly that yeah. said there was a sea of hats. And I don't think you call one hat a sea. Okay, there was like, one hat. Okay. There was one hat. And actually, she's kind of a friend of mine who's pro-Trump, but I, you know, um, but I was there the whole time and I counted and I looked, there was one mega hat. Mm. Yeah, that, so I, I want to actually tell a quick story and I want to, because everything to do with libertarianism is kind of, can boil down to like the, and it's in your book, the I pencil argument, more or less, like the, I guess it's called um, emergent order. Russ Roberts talks a lot about this and he wrote, uh, actually, if you don't feel like reading I pencil, which is maybe a 50 page easy read, you can watch Russ Robert made a video called the wonderful, it's a wonderful loaf. Like it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually beautiful. It's a beautifully illustrated, uh, and it's an interesting poem and it kind of, it's a great, it distills the, uh, I pencil argument down really well, but I was at, I play Frisbee golf. Don't judge. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so I went out to the Frisbee golf course earlier today and I was reading your book on my phone just to get ready for this interview. And the policeman came up to me and I was out in the middle of nowhere on, at CSUMB. And he says, you can't be parked here because this is closed. And I'm, I said, I was going to go play Frisbee golf. And he goes, you can't do that either. Cause, and there's nobody around. Yeah. And uh, so I thought it was kind of ironic cause I was reading your book right about basically, well, everybody, I encourage you to read the book. Uh, it, it was fascinating. It was almost ironic cause the part I was reading, it was about personal freedom and, and, and liberty. And stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Building off that, what there is an externality to the coronavirus and just freely communi- freely walking around society right now. The right. externality is that we might get, especially elderly people, maybe people under the age of maybe 50 aren't as susceptible. That maybe that, that's fair to say. But especially the elderly, there's this externality of we might get them sick and they may die. So why should we not be in lockdown? Okay. First of all, let me point out, there is an externality art. Uh, argument. It's a negative externality. You get someone else sick. There's also, though, potentially a positive externality. You get someone sick and you build herd immunity. And we, we know so little about this. We don't know which outweighs the other. But I had a debate about this with a very sharp economist at the University of Michigan a couple of weeks ago, Justin Wolfers, and also a really good guy. So it was a very, very civil debate. And he and I agreed there's an externality. And then he got into the law and economics literature. There's something in that area of liability called, called least cost avoiders. So the, the entity that has the least cost of avoiding a problem should be the one who bears the liability. And I didn't have much to say about that other than that his deep pocket view of employers was kind of naive. But I've okay. had, a, had a- Could you explain this? So he's saying least cost, so it's least cost to the people that are younger no, Could you you think, explain, yeah. so let's say a given problem where there's an externality and let's say you and I are the ones involved and your cost of avoiding it is $100 and my cost of avoiding it is $60, then I should be the one who's liable. That's the basic argument. And Richard Posner, this famous judge in Chicago who's since quit, uh, he was the one really pushing that idea. And so, and it's a well-accepted idea among a lot of law and economics scholars. But I sat with that idea for about a week after our debate and realized, wait a minute, let's apply it here. Not the way he's doing, but let's look at the actual people at risk. Who's the least cost avoider? You look to me like a relatively young guy. You can probably tell I look like a relatively old guy. 
I'm 69. You're probably what 48 or something. And so I'm the one at risk. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for me to avoid. And so I can stay home. And not only is it easy just because I'm the one at risk, but also 78% of the people who've been, who've died from COVID-19 so far in the United States are 65 or older. So what's also true about us, we typically aren't out working. Even if we're working, we're working in the home. So it's even lower cost for us to avoid the problem. So don't make people like my 35-year-old daughter, who has a view very similar to yours. Uh, she lives right near Golden Gate. Don't make her stay home. Don't make her 40-year-old clients stay home. Let them get together and work. I'm so glad you brought up this. I heard a statistic this week, and this is universal across the globe, that it's something on an average of 60% of the people who have died of coronavirus are in uh, assisted living or, or some kind of, um, you know, that residential care facility. And, uh, and that is true across the states in America. On average, it was about 60% of the people who have died. At, were in, I thought it was a lower percent, but I know it's a way disproportionately high percent. It, yeah. It's, and it, it's very high. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that, that is really good. So, so I guess, um, th where we want to go in the second half of the program is maybe away from COVID-19 and into, I, cause this program is really about, uh, the development of Monterey County. It's called what's the plan. So we're hoping to look into the future and how, how can we resolve some of the conflicts between the environmental and, um, and anti-development, like the growth concerns and how we can, yeah. We can do that. We'll get to that in the second half. But is there anything else on COVID-19? Is there, um, what do you see, like the rules? I wanted to ask you, because my wife pointed this out, is that Target gets to open, but the flower shops just open. So right. they weren't really ready for Mother's Day, lost a lot of revenue. Is there anything like a libertarian would say about that kind of, and McDonald's is open and the smaller restaurants aren't, about that perversion of, of uh, incentives there? Well, what I can mainly say is what this libertarian, David Henderson, would say, because what I've seen, and it's really concern, it really concerns me, is a number of libertarians favoring the lockdown. And, and that was shocking to me. And, and so let me first of all say why I think that's so extreme. The whole thing was built on a model. There's a model of the virus. We don't know it well. There are various models. And so typically, if you're going to make the most extreme attack on economic freedom in 250 years of our, of our history, mm -hmm. you better have a really good reason. So that's why I'm against the lockdown. We don't have a really good reason. The people favoring it might be right. There's some probability they're right. There's some very high probability that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea that we would lose 2 million people, I think was absurd from the start. But also if you look, we were doing a lot of the social distancing voluntarily. And the nice thing about voluntary is then you can figure out clever ways of adjusting. So I used to go to Starbucks and get coffee for my wife. I got an email from Starbucks saying, we're going to limit the number of people coming in. We're going to let them in, but we're going to limit and have them separated and so on. That was about seven days before Governor Newsom's lockdown. So they never really got a chance to try that. Mm -hmm. And so we would have, I think, achieved a lot of the same success without it. The other thing I want to point out is, if you recall back in March, 
What was the justification for all this? They weren't saying we would have fewer uh, cases. They were saying we would have fewer deaths. And the reason we would have fewer deaths was is we wouldn't overwhelm the healthcare system. They wanted to, quote, flatten the curve, unquote. Mm-hmm. That sucker is flat. Yeah, it the area under the curve was more. never the area under the curve was never in dispute. It was always going to stay the same. It was just the yeah the number of cases, but there'd be fewer deaths because they, the system could handle it. Well, now it's ironic. We've got hospitals not just you know being ready, but actually maybe going out of business. People being furloughed. It's crazy. Me Memorial down in King City article in the County Weekly saying they might go out of business. Mm. And so you don't, it, it's like, what was really upsetting me is people who are making that argument should be screaming the loudest to end the lockdowns because they achieved what they wanted. They more than achieved what they wanted and they're not saying squat. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, well, and I think the financial burden ha- or the financial pain hasn't even been seen yet because of a lot of the government subsidies. I think people aren't going to be able to make rent in, in the next two to three months, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, well, I think it depends heavily on whether they, li- if they lifted the lockdowns today, mm-hmm. that'd be much less of a problem. Uh, there, there is a problem and it's substantial, but there'd be a lot of people wanting to go back to work. I, I agree. Do you think that, um, well, I don't want to politicize this too much, but do you think that certain actors are, I've heard an argument from libertarians like uh, Ben Shapiro, that, that some actors are using, um, you, or some people in the far left, uh, maybe even socialists, are using this as an opportunity to maybe expand some government programs? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, this whole universal basic income, people are pushing for that. Uh, there are a number of things uh, that people are pushing for. And, and you know, the whole line from the guy who's now a previous mayor of Chicago, who was a big guy in the Obama administration, what's his name? Rahm Emanuel, mm. never let a crisis go to waste. And that's how they're thinking about it. Awesome. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our first half of our show. Um, we're, we're sitting with Dr. Henderson from Naval Postgraduate School and the Hoover Institute. Great conversation, sir. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Uh, I'm Paul Wyant. I own Express Employment Professionals in Monterey County. If you need good people, come to me. And we'll see you in just a couple minutes. We'll be talking about growth in Monterey. One company is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Not to express employment professionals. We take pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Express Employment Professionals is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Let us help. We'll open doors for you. For great employees, call Monterey County Express Employment Professionals, 831-920-1230. That's 831-920-1230. Advertising. Love it or hate it, it's a vital tool for business owners to attract customers and earn a living. But some city governments have arbitrary laws about what advertising signs can and cannot say. The First Amendment protects freedom of speech. IJ is committed to defending free speech against excessive and unfair government regulations. Please visit our website today at ij.org to find out how you can help the Institute for Justice. 
If you're planning an event and searching for the perfect venue, consider the Monterey County Sheriff's Posse Grounds on Old Natividad Road in Salinas. The Posse Grounds has it all. A complete kitchen, barbecue pits. We also have an outdoor stage featuring a large dance area, all in a private setting and wide open spaces. So book your event now. Call 831-444-6267 or visit our website at mcsposse.com. The Monterey County Sheriff's Posse is a not-for-profit organization. 13 minutes before the hour, let's get back to more of What's the Plan with your host, Paul Wyant, and his guest, Dr. David Henderson. Thank you, Mark. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, we'll start by talking about development in Monterey County, and I kind of wanted to pose a hypothetical. I was trying to think of the best way to, to, to think about this, Dr. Henderson. I had the mayor of Monterey on last week, and he felt that a lot of the environmental um, pushback that as since he became mayor in the 80s, prevented the development of, um, like he basically, he said to use the term, turning Monterey Beach into Miami Beach with, with a series of 10 story hotels across the beach. And you could relate this to Chular. Um, there have been, you know, there was a proposed 800 unit housing project in Chular that was defeated back in the early aughts and dozens of projects like that. Um, but uh, the hypothetical I'd like to pose, if I wanted to build a 10-story hotel in, on Monterey Beach, why is that not an externality that would destroy the, you know, the character and the nature of, of, of this area? You know, and why, why because a libertarian, would, I would assume, would say that that's okay to build. And, uh, you know, but, but let's, that's the question I have. Okay. I mean, I guess it is a negative externality to some, but a positive externality to others. Uh, so there are people like me who love looking at big buildings. So uh, they're, they're preventing me from getting that benefit. There are probably more people in the other camp who say it is negative. And, and, and so it is. On net, it's probably negative from that viewpoint. It's creating huge value, though. And so I just think that, that that's relatively small externality. And, it, and to do much about it really violates the property rights because it's an externality of people looking at something. You know, it's not like, so, so if, if, if there's some ugly house or whatever, um, you know, someone paints their house some rotten color, that's a negative externality. But there aren't as many people, I think, saying they shouldn't be able to do that. And so it, it's kind of a matter of degree and I just think the value created and the importance of property rights, those two together are so important as to outweigh that. Mm -hmm. Now, in your book, you, you said, um, and, and now the, I, there was an article in the Monterey Herald, actually, this uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was an editorial, basically, that was from the Landwatch Corporation, the CEO. And uh, I don't want to misquote him, but the, the general argument was that if, it was talking more about water and controlling water and uh and public making the the water public a public entity and and i think that not putting words into his mouth or their mouth is would making the water system taking it from calam and, and you know, defeating the um the desal plant would that be a, you know what what is your opinion on that so those are two separate issues so yeah. let's look at at government ownership first Government ownership is typically way less efficient than private ownership. Mm -hmm. So we essentially have a, a, a choice here. A private monopoly that's regulated, Cal-Am, 
or a government monopoly, and it's not clear the amount of regulation. The difference is Calam has to answer to shareholders, so they've always got to be aware of costs. A government entity doesn't have to be as aware of costs because there's nothing, there's no what economists call residual claimant. There's no entity that bears the benefit or gets the benefit or bears the cost. And so they just have much more diminished incentives to worry about costs. So we'd probably get more expensive water. Now that doesn't mean it would show up in your bill because they probably get some kind of subsidy from taxpayers. Mm. So it would show up in your bill plus your taxes. So that's the argument I make against having government run those things. It's the same argument against government ha having the post office versus United Parcel Service. And it's just, it, this isn't a special case particularly. Now the desal, I'm not in favor of if we could just have the least cost water provision. I'd like to build a dam, but we, you know, they voted against that in the 90s. I mean, the dam is kind of an obvious solution, but we're not going to get it. And if we want to have a fairly stable water supply and allow for any growth or any, any reasonable, any substantial growth, let's put it that way, we need to have the desal. So, so I, those, that's basically my argument on those two things. Now, in your, in your book, you mentioned that those who are politically connected could use uh, things like, so if the public water company were a political, politicized, could the politically connected basically control growth through the water company? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so if I moved here in 1984, and I noticed a real no-growth attitude even back then compared to other places I'd lived in the country. And here's what I think has been the strategy of the no or very slow growthers. It's to find the bottleneck, create the bottleneck. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it with water, well, we can't have more building because there's no water. If they relax that constraint, do it with roads. We can't have more building because we don't have roads. Let's not allow any more roads to be built. So it's always these created bottlenecks. And I think that's a big part of what's going on. It is. Yeah. Do you, now, that, that, now, I wish there was a dispositive. I guess maybe Pismo Beach <laughs> it might be the closest we could get to a dispositive or something like that. Like where, what Monterey would look like if it were, because I, I, people are fearing that it will look like, I don't know, Bondi Beach or Miami Beach or something. So, and what's, my question is like, I don't understand, you know, sometimes I don't know why that's a problem. It would be like Nantucket complaining that they don't want to become Martha's Vineyard or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I've driven by Pismo Beach on the way when I do that, the long version to get to L.A., and it looks kind of nice to me. Like, I, I don't quite get what the, I mean, I do get the issue, but I just, there are differences in, in views on that. It's not as if it's clear cut that that's bad. So how would... So how would it be, how could you mobilize against that? Because there are extreme political, well, actually community groups, there's extreme community groups, well-funded community groups that, that are prevent, preventing growth and they use water and uh, the environment. Because yeah, the dam is an obvious thing because there's probably yeah. some damage to the environment. And there's probably some protected species that would be displaced over that. Uh, so you could use the environment to, to, to basically not allow that. Right. What, what could someone do, or, or is, it, is it perfectly within like, your ideals to have a community group that prevents things like that because the community doesn't want it? No, no, I, well, no, no that, I shouldn't have said no. The, the one legitimate way for a community group to prevent it is to buy it. 
And so I had a, a libertarian friend in Grass Valley. Well, he is a libertarian friend in Grass Valley who said he kind of likes that line from that old uh, Eagles song, call it paradise and then it's gone. You know, it's like, yeah. anyway, uh, they, they said it better. <laughs> and, and, and so he, I said, look, Charlie, you should be able to have your paradise, but you and your neighbors get together and buy this land and keep it empty. So you bear the cost rather than making the owner of the land who might have a different view bear the cost. And he ended up agreeing with me. So I think that's a legitimate thing to do. So you see the big Sur land trust, you see lots of things where people are playing by what I regard as legitimate rules, buying up property, keeping it however they want it and not allowing building. But I think that is the legitimate way to do it. The other thing I would point out is a lot of us have kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of us would love for our kids to be able to live somewhere near us. In coastal California, it ain't going to happen. And it ain't going to happen because of all these restrictions on building. So I blog on Econ Log. My co-blogger, Brian Kaplan, and I were talking recently. He's doing a graphic novel, a comic book. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be called Build Baby Build. And he's basically laying out how in his area, in, in northern Virginia, in my area in coastal California, the way we parents can have our kids be able to afford a house near us is to allow lots of building. I think, yeah, that's, and, and San Francisco is certainly kind of going through, a, I think, a vertical, there's a lot of uh, talk about building up in San Francisco, yeah. so for that yeah. possibly could. I, the last, maybe the last question, or, or getting close to the last question is, I, if you, have you been to Washington State? And yes. do you, so you know about the beaches in Washington State are not publicly owned, they're privately owned, is it? That's I did not know that. So that's Yeah, so, well, it's, it's mostly privately owned, and so you can't really access the shoreline in Washington State as freely as you can in California. California, I I'm not exactly sure on the rules, but it's publicly owned, and there should be shore access everywhere or most places. That is a huge uh, positive externality of having public ownership of the beaches, or at least majority of the beaches are publicly owned, as, as far as I understand. If the Washington model is really hard to get to the beach and really hard to enjoy it. You can't like have long walks along a, you know, an ocean view because of that, unless you go to like a, a national park, like Olympic national park. Yeah. Why yeah, argue that? Uh, could you, I'm just throwing this out there as like another libertarian counter argument. I'm trying to argue, yeah. Yeah. come up with my best, uh, you know what I mean? Trying yeah, to, I do. So what would you, how would you respond to that? I think it's not a positive externality. In other words, I don't think there's an externality. An externality occurs when, one, when person A imposes a cost on person B that he doesn't take account of. Anyone who owns land on that beach, and again, I didn't know about this, but anyone who owns that land is bearing the cost of not letting people on it. So if I own some land, I could, I could charge people to, to, to be on it and go to the beach. And I, as a landowner, presumably have decided the amount of revenue I'm giving up for that is, worth, is less than the value I get from privacy. And so, so I guess what I'd want to look at is, is that allowed? Is our private landowners who own land on the beach allowed to let people on it and charge for it? And if they are, there's no externality. If they're not, then go after that law. Don't nationalize the beach. Uh, but, but then in, in, so you've got like Malibu where you can, not everybody can enjoy it, obviously, but you can bike right. along the beach and stuff. Is that, 
So you're saying that's not enough. I would say that's a positive externality because we can all freely go on the beach. But I guess our music is telling me that we should go. Before we go, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you, uh, Dr. Henderson. Is there anywhere that people can find you? Uh, yes. Um, go to econlib.org and look for econlog. I do 20 to 25 blog posts a month. You are, it's wonderful talking to you, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to have you back someday if you agree. I would love it. Uh, I love it. So anyway, you've been listening to Central Coast Power Talk, 1460 AM and 101.1 FM. I'm Paul Lyon, owner of Express Employment Specials. If you own a business, give us a call, 831-920-1230. Please stay tuned for Business Sense with Edward King, and thank you to Dr. David Henderson, also the greatest producer in the world, Mr. Mark Cabanero, and of course the great Dave Marzetti for helping me make this program possible. Have a great day, Monterey County. Let it, let it get me down.